This is Behold, a VBC podcast. Our goal is to examine biblical truth that will better equip you to behold the glory of the Lord more fully in your daily life. I'm Sean Helch, and I'm joined by Dan Gillette and a special guest. We each serve in different roles at Valley Bible Church. Without further ado, here is the Behold podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, perhaps even whenever you are listening to this. Welcome to the Behold podcast yet again. If you're a longtime listener or maybe for the first time, if this is your first time, welcome, welcome. Uh, This is Sean Helch and we have my boy Dan as always. And then today we have a fun treat. The one and the only, I like to call her Uma, but (laughs) Mrs. Connie Johnson. Say hi, Connie. Hi there. Hey, shout out to, to you, Connie. Thank you for for feeding our bellies with such delicious food. We were away at the staff retreat uh, a few weeks ago by now, but her and her team just blessed us richly as as uh, we got to just eat and feast uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Amazing food, homemade cinnamon rolls and amazing beef stew made from scratch and one night we had like what was that asian dish you had there was some kind of it was a thai curry oh my goodness dude, <laughs> with just the right amount of heat and and with noodles and oh oh my gosh it was just and and all kinds of treats and cookies and we just you spoiled us and blessed us richly um and if you've never been blessed to have connie's uh, amazing cooking you haven't lived yet <laughs> wow, you need to be a restaurant critic or something, Sean. You, you're making my mouth water. Um, you know, I had a huge, I had a huge team of women that were there, but also uh, women who helped beforehand. I mean, I have to give a shout out to Cynthia Stafford because she and I chopped and made that, uh, did the meat for that stew days in advance, and so she was awesome and helping me with that. And then I had a really great team of ladies who made cookies, you know, um, there was a bunch of people who made cookies and sent them lovingly sent them with us. And then I had a wonderful team. Um, I just have to mention them, Cindy White, Claire Borges, (laughs) Christine White, um, Caroline Roschke and Kim Zero. And we had so much fun. Wow. All-star dream team. We had so much fun. We were dancing in the kitchen. I mean, it was really wonderful. So we need to have a little reunion. Oh, of just the kitchen. Crew. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah, we, we had a great time. But thank you. Nice to have you with us um, this morning, Connie. You doing doing well in general? Life going good? Yeah, it, doing really well. Um, everybody's healthy, and yeah, um, we have a new grandson um, in Pennsylvania, Cade. Nice. Cade. Hey, shout out to Cade. I'm sure yes. he's listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, a little sweet little two and a half week old. So, actually, almost three weeks now. So yeah. Ellie had her second son. That's so fun. Ellie and Eric. Mm-hmm. Aw. And I heard they might be coming out here for for a few weeks uh, come soon. Yeah? Yep. Yep. They're coming out in November next month for three weeks and spending Thanksgiving with us. And so it'll be a, just a real treat for um, Cade and Dominic to be with their uncles and aunts. It, it'll be really fun. Oh, that's it'll awesome. It'll be fun to see them all united. Oh, I can't wait. That I hope hopefully we can we can see them make an appearance as well. Mm-hmm. Steal away some of that family time to hang with us. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Love it. Well, Connie, we're grateful that you're with us today. Just giving up your your precious precious time because you're definitely used by a lot of. She's in demand, right? high demand. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, helpful, kind, beautiful Korean ladies are hard to come by at the church. (laughs) You know, they just are. (laughs) Uh, So we're glad that you're with us uh, today. Well, hey, if you've been tracking with us on our teaching series at VBC on Sunday mornings, you'll know that we're in our Love and Liberty series. And man, it's been really awesome, really fitting. We've been looking at the Apostle Paul's teachings that really help us to kind of grapple with and just just go through these conversations of, man, how do we use our rights, you know, and how do we exercise our rights in a way that is most loving to the people around us? Um, And we just finished talking all about how really a lot of the times the most loving thing to do is to sacrifice our rights in different situations. And that's a hard thing for us to do, a hard pill to swallow. And then this last Sunday, it's an interesting twist. Now Paul is saying, well, actually, here are some rights I'm going to stand upon. Here are the things that I'm, I am going to use these rights because, again, they're the things that are most loving, the most effective for God's kingdom. So just more helpful info for us as we kind of wrestle with that back and forth of which are the things that we need to do, which are the things that we shouldn't do. And at the end of the day, it all, it all comes down to love. So just Dan and Connie, as you guys were listening to, to Chuck teach on Sunday, what are some of those first kind of big topics or elephants in the room or whatever that first kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, a couple of things just just stood out to me as in- interesting. There's this there's this case that Paul is making for his apostleship, and like some of the the sections in the, in these these chapters that we're looking at, it's easy to kind of gloss over. But I thought Charlie did a great job of just pointing out a couple of things that were new for me, and I just thought were were pretty interesting. So if the first one is in verse the first half of of uh, verse one where Paul basically says to the church in Corinth that they are the seal of his apostleship. And I thought that was really interesting. The way Charlie explained that is he said, you're the, this visible token that I have this call from Jesus on my life. So remember the, this, this capital A apostle that we see in the new Testament are these, these people that are eyewitnesses to Jesus and have a call on their life from Jesus. And Paul is is defending that because in Corinth they were they were starting to question it as well. And I thought it was really interesting like Paul was basically telling them like, "Hey, I am an apostle. Like you guys are proof of that. If if I weren't an apostle, you wouldn't be a church." And Charlie said, "Hey, you should go read Acts 18 and see how Paul engaged the people in Corinth and, and how he was, God used him to start that church. And the, the ludicrousy of them questioning his apostleship is kind of the, how strange it would be if our, if our kids said, Hey, I don't think you're a dad anymore. Like I'm starting to question your identity as a dad. And so I thought that was kind of cool. That, that idea of the, the church in Corinth being one of the seals of his apostleship. And then you know, the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting is um, the phrase that's used in verse seven, or I guess it's a, it's a concept, it's an idea. How, when Paul is talking about his, his right to have his physical needs met while he is ministering um, in the gospel. And he's basically says, Hey, think about this, this scenario of someone being called to, to serve in the army or to go to war but their 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 needs are not provide for, provided for. They're they're actually going to do that mission under their own expense, 
and how difficult that would be uh, to recruit those people to say, Hey, you're going to go fight this war, but you gotta, you gotta pay for all your own stuff. You gotta, you know, work for your own food. And no one would ever sign up to do that. It'd be ludicrous. And so I just thought those two concepts were kind of interesting. And I think especially for, for us, so we're three people who are part of a, a church staff here. So we're serving, we're, we're following the call that God has on our life, just like everyone does, but we're doing it to a degree that w- we are getting paid for. <laughs> and it's the, it's the means by which we provide for our families. And so it's kind of like, there's an elephant in the room. I don't know if you guys all feel it, uh, those that, you know, listening at home, but it's kind of, I think, weird for us to be talking about it or potentially weird. Um, so what do you guys think as you were listening, how, how did, how did it land with you knowing kind of the situation that, that, that we're all three in? Yeah. I, you know, I think before we started recording, we were talking about how each of us have been had before we actually came on staff, we were all doing similar things, similar ministries, um, it's interesting how God grows that ministry then and and then into an actual position. And I think uh, that's that's really a beautiful way that Valley does that. You know, I, I don't think other churches always follow that model, but where we um, we see a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people that are ministering in Valley Bible Church that are not getting paid. You know, yeah. and I think that's a beautiful thing to foster and a culture to develop um, because uh, in this area, you know, where we live in the Bay Area, it, it's it's expensive to live here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, hadn't, <laughs> uh, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've recently been in Idaho. I've recently been in Pennsylvania and also in Texas. And the cost of living is... I mean, just even looking at gas prices, just it's just very stark and very different. You know, groceries. You and notice things. it. I d- you do notice yeah. it, and and I think it's played out in the churches too, because um, I think yeah, when we look at our staff, there's there's quite a number of us, and a lot of us are paid. Some of us are paid, not maybe not paid, or some of some people don't take choose. a salary. Some yeah, people on exactly. staff don't take a salary. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, just depending on life circumstances, like this, that's why the Paul situation is so interesting because he could have taken a salary, but he was perfectly fine to, to live with Priscilla and Aquila when he came to town and be a tent maker. And, um, you know, that's, that's what actually we, we call missionaries, right? We meet when missionaries go out as, um, tent makers, we, we, we talk about them as tent makers. They are actually doing a profession as well as preaching the gospel, yeah. whatever country they're in. But anyway, I think that our our cult, our church culture um, is beautiful in the sense that, you know, Sean, you, Dan, and I all did things that are similar to what now we're getting a salary for, you know? And I think fostering that in our body is a beautiful, great way of um, building up the, the leadership and, 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 and the cost of living does play into it. It just does yeah, in this area. That's a really good point I hadn't thought about. What about you, Sean? What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that kind of going off what Connie said that I, I really appreciate about the elders and the finance board at VBC is there's just an, an intentionality and a desire to invest in people. You know, like when we see younger people who are serving and they're gifted in certain ways and they love doing that, even though it's a really small thing, you know, 
we're we're excited about the opportunity to get them on staff part time to free them up to be able to do that gifting more, you know. And yeah, they're not making a ton of money doing whatever it is, you know, music for high school ministry or admin for Quest or whatever those different things are. But I think it's more about just the the heart behind it of, of, hey, as your church family, we see the fruit of your works right now. We see what you're doing and we want to enable you to do that more, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, as a church building, as a church team with staff, we're actually super staff heavy. You know, if you look at our congregation size, versus other similar church demographics with similar sized congregations. We have way more staff than your average church. And some people look at that and they say, wow, VBC, they, they just, people don't want to serve without getting paid, you know? But I'll let you know on a secret, those three, us three here who are in on all these conversations, that's never the tone or the, the heart behind what's happening in this process. It's always what I just said of, man, we, we're, we're blessed by these people. So we want to bless them and allow them to do it more and more with their time. And like, yeah, I think it would be great if Dan and Connie and me had the freedom to serve as much as we do and not get paid and still survive. That'd be great. But that's just not the reality right now. And it'd be great, you know, if instead of taking a salary, we could just have housing people could bring us meals and provide for us in that way. I'd love that. But unfortunately in the 21st century, we're just used to in our daily lives, things being a bit more transactional than that. You know, <laughs> people are used to not bringing baskets of fruits and vegetables to church <laughs> as a way to give to the Lord, but they go to their PayPal instead of check-in every month, you yeah. know? So anyways, mm -hmm. th that's the context we're working in. And again, at the end of the day, we're more concerned with the heart behind people's giving over the method. Mm -hmm. And we're more concerned about the heart of building up leaders than how many people we have on staff. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good point. Like it's the, 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 the generosity as issue or aspect is so crucial and so important on both sides. So you see it all throughout Paul's writings to the various churches that he's working with, you know, and serving in Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus, whatever, wherever he is, you see that he's following the call that got, that Jesus put on his life. He's just generously doing that. He's going above and beyond. He's, he's working day and night. He's, he's sharing not only the message, but his life with these people just pouring out and, and then you also see the response of, of, of God's people to supply his needs and to, to care for not only him, but his, his missionary band and, and just to uh, advance the kingdom, you know, further and further. Like, so I love just that heart of generosity that you see, because if either Paul or the people he was serving were, were doing these things begrudgingly or without joy, you, you would see that the effectiveness would go down. And so I just love that, that aspect of it. And, um, however it comes forward, if it's, if it's like in, I think some, in, in other cultures, like maybe like globally where we, we see more, um, missions happening in different cultures, I think we do see more of that. Hey, people caring for the needs of, of these pastors and these missionaries. And it's, it, it is less transactional, but it's just kind of the moment that we're in right now, Sean. So I think that is a really good point. And one other thing that I, I think is, is also just on my mind with this is like, let's say something changed, right? In whether it's in the, um, the culture uh, of the world or in the 
just what God was doing in our church. Or maybe like, I don't know, like what if I won the lottery or something, right? <laughs> and and just things changed where I didn't need to take a salary or or it wasn't feasible for me to take a salary from from VBC. You know, I I could say with a clear conscience that I would continue to to follow the call that God has on my life um, as long as God has called me to this to this community. And I, I just think it might look a little different, like the amount of hours I put in or um you know, just the capacity to which I'm able to do it. But, uh, and I think that is what is true for all of us on staff here at VBC. We don't do it because we get paid. We were already doing it before we got paid. And if something happened where we weren't getting paid anymore, guess what? We would still do it. Do you guys agree? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say, you know, I, I see the Lord's heart in all of that and just his provision, his way of providing for us. I mean, we see that even in time, you know, when the very first priesthood was established by the Lord, you know, he said that, that first fruits of, of all that, the grain and things and the meat, you know, that the priests had the right to to be able to be sustained by that. Right. I mean, that's the Lord's generous heart. So good. And yeah. and I love, um, I mean, the fact is VBC um, has a really robust budget because the generosity of our people. And somehow we are sustained. But like like you said, Dan, if something were to change, then we will we would adapt and we we change along with that, right? But I feel like VBC with the food pantry and all of the different global mission partners that we have, we really do have a heart to, to not only you know uh, to take care of our staff, but also take care of all these missions and other. Um, um, ministries that God has put on our heart. Yeah, that's good. So um, I really see a generosity there. Sorry, Sean, I think I interrupted you. No, no, that's great. I was just going to add to all of that. And I think you're kind of touching on it, Connie, of just, this is an example, which we're going to get into more with a different topic just in a second here. But this is an example of why you have to just look at the heart behind things and look at the motives and how the spirit is moving and not just treat it as a formulaic black and white rules-based kind of thing because reality is unfortunately yeah a lot of churches in the world have really misused people's offerings to the lord and their generosity so many people have been burned by their experiences with a church mishandling money and being bad stewards of that you know and so there's plenty of people i've talked to who you know they were at a church that was too corporate too much of a business machine they cared too much about the million dollar stage you know mm. and so now they they refuse to go to a church that has any paid staff you know they want to mm. be we all we're all just organic family we're serving one another unpaid which of course that's beautiful i love that at the same time there's someone else who i know who was at a church where they're all unpaid and they're just so burnt out from everyone being so just overtapped and overused and all these things so they really want to go to a church where people have on staff and can help and have the freedom and all that stuff. So all that to say, there's no right or wrong with how many people you have on staff as a church family, right? It's all about the motives behind it. And are you making spirit-led, biblically following decisions, Bible-following decisions that honor God and love people well, mm-hmm. which happenstancely is also <laughs> how we should be treating our freedoms, right? Yeah. The same thing with our freedoms. It's not a formula. It's not a black and white thing. We'll take whatever issue you want. If we're not talking about the essentials, like the deity of Christ kind of thing, if we're talking about actionable things like, oh, do you wear a seatbelt or not? Do you wear a mat? Whatever it is, then it's not a formula. You know, what is your motive? Are you listening for the Spirit's direction? Are you loving the people around you well? 
which I think this launches the next discussion for us of, of step two of how we not just give up our freedoms, but when do we use it? And how is it, how is it loving? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlie did a great job of and bringing us to Philippians chapter two, which I think just ties in so nice to this uh, to this issue, because in that section we, we were instructed to have the a mind of Christ, to assume the same attitude that Christ had when he came into you know humanity when he entered in to uh to our mess and he and he came into the darkness he took on human form um and he humbled himself in that way and so we're instructed in Philippians 2 to to have that same mind and to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to 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 look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others to think of others better than ourselves and so what a beautiful picture of Jesus who had every right of, of, of God, of deity, um, he laid some of that aside to, to, to do the most loving thing, um, to reach people that he um, wanted to save. And then it's really interesting, the, the passage goes on to say, but now, after his, his death and resurrection and ascension, now he sits at the right hand right? He's, he is, he is elevated and exalted to the position where his name is above every other name. And, and at every, and at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so there's this, um, kind of journey that you see of Jesus laying his rights down, but then taking them back up and, and, uh, and the driving force in all of that is, is love. The guiding principle in all of that is love. Like, why did Jesus do that? Why did he come into humanity? Why did he take on, you know, human flesh? Because, because he, he, he loved the world and he wanted to, to reconcile people back to himself. And so I think, you know, what a great model for us. And, and it's, it's really tough, man, when we think about that, but you know, if you think about how much Jesus had to humble himself to do all of that, and hopefully it's inspirational for us. It's like, oh my, it's like, that is, um, we're never going to have to do something as hard as that, I don't think, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I can, I can lay down something that I feel justified and right to do. I, I, can, I can set that aside to love my fellow man. Mm. You know, when you were talking, Dan, I, I, I had that, this little kind of realization, like, you know, when, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians eight thirteen, you know, if, if by my eating meat, it causes my brothers to stumble or it destroys their faith or whatever, I, may I never eat meat again. Mm. Okay. Which to me, I was like, oh, I really like meat. And that'd be hard yeah, to never, right, right. ever eat meat again. But then he gives an example from his own life, which is, um, you know, taking a salary, being sustained by the, the financially by the church. I mean, that's a pretty big thing that he gave up. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the example that, that Charlie gave of, Christ giving up the glory of heaven and, and condescending to come right. and become a servant for us and dying on the cross, this, you know, cursed tree. I mean, it's it's this sort of, um, I don't know, this like 
it just gets worse and worse in terms of what needs to be given up. And yet, you know, that's the kind of love that Christ has for us. It's just so sacrificial and a hundred percent. He's all in. And yeah, how, how can we, I don't know, how can we glean from that you know, those examples of not eating meat, not taking a salary and humbling ourselves to the point of death. I mean, this convicting right there, this reminds me of, you know, just as we picture that, you know, he humbled himself to endure the cross out of love. And I think that kind of speaks to some of the heart of, of why this is hard for us sometimes is kind of two things. One is we don't, see the joy in loving people, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not looking for that. We're not clinging to just the joy that comes from loving our people like Jesus loves us. And that reminds me of Hebrews 12, you know, about, you know, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance, the race that's set before us. And then this is the part I think is so just fitting for this looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Mm. despising shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Same thing that Dan just said, man, he gave it up and now he's seated by God. Mm -hmm. But I just love that phrase, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus knew it was coming. You know, he knew that, that eternity with his, his beloved, it, it was coming and there's a joy in that. Mm-hmm. So it's because of that joy that he endured the cross. And so for us, do we have that kind of joy? You know, do we have that kind of hope for our brothers and sisters? Do we get excited about the idea of helping them along their race? Or do we get excited about the idea of introducing someone to Jesus if they don't know Jesus, you know? And Satan is working so hard. I feel like it's really easy for us to just become numb to that whole thing. Maybe even to just kind of tune out the Holy Spirit in this process. Because that's huge, right? Like we should be, hopefully, if we've put our trust in Jesus and we love him like he loves us, that how can we not, you know, how could the Spirit not be moving this in our hearts as we're talking to people? At the end of the day, when we, when we have these moments where we're unwilling to give those things up, I think a lot of it comes down to that is just, we don't see the joy in, in loving this person through sacrifice, you know? And then the second thing I was going to mention is I think it, it, part of it is just comes down to trusting God. You know, we, we don't trust God enough to give up our rights with whatever the issue is. You know, we want to deal with it. We want it to be fixed right now. All these things that reminds me of, you know, first Peter, you know, chapter four, chapter two of just, Jesus went to the cross so we could follow in his footsteps and people reviled him and he suffered and threatened him. And what did he do? He didn't sin. He didn't lie. He didn't revile them back. He just entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Mm-hmm. And he trusted God. And it means, and so I think those two things, the, the trust of God paired with the love of loving mm-hmm. people, man, how could you not give up your rights for those two things? Like it'd be so easy if we really had those things in our hearts and minds on a constant basis. Yeah, 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 I think that's that's very well said, and I think it's I think it's really a it's meant to be a, a dynamic spirit led you know process of discernment because we see from Paul's life that he he laid down his rights when he felt it was the most effective thing to do for the gospel or the most loving thing to do for his fellow man. But then other times he took, he took up his rights 
uh, if he felt like it was the most effective thing for the gospel or the most loving thing, if he was free to do that and still love people well. And so it's really something that we have to ask God for help with. We can't just make this decision. I'm never going to eat meat again, or I'm never going to watch rated R movies again, or I'm never going to listen to that kind of music ever again. You know, and I, and I think it's really interesting, Connie, what you said about, you know, bringing up uh, from, from last week where, where in chapter eight, where Paul says, if I, you know, if, it, if never eating meat again is, is what I have to do to, to love people best and to be most effective for the gospel, I'll do it. I don't care. He's like, I'll, I'll lay that down and I'll do it joyfully and willingly, not begrudgingly. But the question I have is, did he, from that statement on, never eat meat again? And, you know, that, I think it's an interesting question for us to ask, because I think even in Romans 14, he, he brings up the issue um, again, and it's a different kind of issue. It's not about meat sacrifice to idol. It's, it's, it's more about, Hey, you know, Jewish people think this kind of food is unclean. So don't eat it. They, they don't eat it. But he says, I don't have any problem with that. Like, I feel like God's made all things clean, right? That's what, that's what Paul's conviction was there. So, I don't know if there's any way to find out if Paul ever did eat meat again or not, <laughs> but I think the key is he's willing to not ever eat it again. You know, it kind of made me think about like, um, so I ride a motorcycle and I love like dirt, dirt bikes and street bikes. And I'm just like, I feel, I, I feel so free and, and just, it's, it's like, I love being on a motorcycle. It's one of my favorite things. If, and, and I, right now I, my wife is okay with that, but if she woke up tomorrow and said, Hey Dan, I just, I, I just don't feel comfortable. Like it's causing me pain. It's I'm, I'm afraid it's, it's, um, it's limiting my ability to, to function. And I'd like you to, I'd like you to lay down that right. I would sell the bike that day. I'd get rid of it. And I'd never get on a motorcycle ever again. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a difference between being willing to lay something down and, and then, oh, versus actually having to do it, right? And, and what if something changed with Emily, you know, a couple of years later and she was comfortable with it again? Well, then I could take that right back up again. And so that, I think, I mean, are you guys, do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like, because I think it's so easy for us to just say, Oh, well, here's, here's a, th a thing that I feel free to do, but my brother over here, uh, is it's a stumbling block for them. So I'm just never going to do it ever again. And people just make that hard, fast rule. And I'm, I don't think that is necessarily what we are required to do. Um, I don't think that's anything wrong with doing that, but what do you guys think? I mean, you know, does, does laying down your right once, mean you have to lay it down forever, I guess is what I'm saying. Or is it a dynamic case by case spirit led type of thing? I'm gonna I'm gonna take by the by the prompting, I'm gonna take option B. I think you I think you want option <laughs> okay. B. Is that the answer? <laughs> okay. No, I mean I, I, I think it goes back to last week's conversation with Brent of of empathy, you know, and having compassion towards others. I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is we are all in the 21st century, in Western society, especially in the Bay Area, very consumerist culture, we're just not used to making decisions based on how other people feel about stuff, you know? <laughs> right. Everything typically is, how do I feel about this? And so this situation where someone would say, hey, actually, I feel totally free to do this, 
but I'm never going to do it again for the benefit of someone else. That's actually super rare. <laughs> like I, I very rarely encounter that in real life, you know, because we're just not built that way. So I think it's that goes back to that thing of empathy. And so if you're doing that process and you actually are on a constant basis, trying to understand other people's hearts and what is going to cause hurdles for them or not, if you're doing that, then I think you have total freedom. You know, if you, if you have a clear conscience with whatever the issue is, and you actually have done that, that process of empathizing with this person, you really do know, oh, this isn't going to cause them to stumble. It's not going to distract them from their walk. Then you do you, man. You have freedom. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's, and it comes back to the heart issue. It's like, are you willing to lay it down if, if the opportunity comes up as the Lord prompts you or as a brother brings something to you? Are you willing to lay it down? I think that is more important than actually laying it down. Right, because you could lay it down and be be grumpy about it, <laughs> and you could be doing it begrudgingly, and and that that's not going to ultimately be loving and honoring, right? Well, that's really good, actually. I think that's a great observation, Dan, about the, just the state of our hearts, because I think, like, to use the spouse example, I think a lot of us who are married, if our spouse had an issue with whatever the thing was, I think most of us would say, "Yeah, I would stop doing that thing." But I also think most of us, if you really looked at that situation, it would probably be with grumbling and it wouldn't be a, a completely selfless kind of thing where I'm just out of love giving it up. You'd be like, oh man, I don't want to put the motorcycle away. You know what I mean? Right, Whatever it right, looks like. Right. So I think that's, that's actually huge is what's the state of your heart? Not only are you willing to give it up, but are you really doing it out of love or are you doing it because you just feel obligated to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, um, example that Sean, you were saying about Jesus and how he entrusted himself to the father. Um, and then the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and it's that, that joy. I mean, okay. So first of all, um, what is that joy? I mean, what is the joy that was set before him? Obviously he was going back. He knew he was going back to the father and the glory that he had with the father, but there was also this sense of like, I, I was reminded when you were, um, quoting that, uh, Hebrews passage of the passage in Isaiah 53, where it says, when, you know, it's talking about Jesus, the suffering servant, and it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And that mm-hmm. idea of seeing the offspring, all of us who are going to come to come to him because of this great sacrifice he was making. That was part of the joy that he experienced on the cross, right? That's the joy he saw. He, it was set before him, and, and, and that's why he went to the cross. He didn't go to the cross, like you were saying, begrudgingly and joylessly, but he actually went with a full heart knowing the consequence of his actions. And isn't that, I mean, just w- what we are called to do is we are called to do these things at, not out of like, oh, woe is me. I have to give up whatever, you know, uh, whatever it is that God's asking us to give up. But rather we're doing it for entrusting our hearts to the Father because he knows us. He, he knows what's best. And for our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, because those are our, our forever people that we're going to be with yeah, in heaven. That's good. That's really My forever people. I love it. Well, and I think like, man, we're talking about just the, the glory that God's going to receive. I think this right here is, is the salt, 
you know, this is the aroma of Christ is not just, oh, hey, I'm going to not do this to benefit you because people, anyone could do that. But it's it's doing it out of selflessness and love and compassion that I think it's that thing that makes someone go, hey, what's different about this relationship? You know, like, why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. If they're grumblingly doing it, then I'm like, yeah, they're just a nice person. But if they're not grumbling and they're just expressing a joy and a love for it, like, man, something's up here and I want to know what it is. Yeah. And that's, that. that's one of the things that Charlie really challenged us with. He, he said, how often do we forget that there are eyes on us? And I think what he meant by that is how often do we just plow through life just thinking it's, I don't know, it's just us and we're just kind of, we're just doing our own thing, but there are our fellow believers in the household of God looking at us, mm-hmm. the mature mm-hmm. and the immature, right? The weak and the strong. There mm-hmm. are people who are seeking God that God has put in our life, whether it's at work or at school, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's the barista at Starbucks. Um, what about our kids? Right. And then what about just the world? Like, or even just like, think about, the Tri-Valley community, man, there are people who are watching us. And if our main calling card to the world, if we believe what Jesus said, our main calling card to the world is love, man, we, we need to be experts at practicing how we exercise our liberty, how we pursue our Christian freedom. um, So as to be the most loving to the people that God has put in our life. Hmm. Well, can we can we talk about some examples? Please. I, mean, I, I was thinking about what are some of the things that that we um, can give up for the sake of the gospel. Rather, you know, like Charlie was saying, or in, in the Paul is saying in this passage, rather than putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel, we want to, you know, adorn the gospel. We want to proclaim and beautify the gospel because the gospel is beautiful, right? So, not only to believers but to unbelievers. Um, how, how, what are the, some of the things that we can think uh, about? I mean, I thought of a couple of things. One was, um, you know, high school ministry, when you go on the trips, like the girls are supposed to wear a one piece bathing suit, right? (laughs) They have the right to wear two pieces if they wanted. uh, Based on their conviction, right. Right, exactly. But, But when you're with your brothers and sisters in the Lord on these trips, just refrain and wear one piece. You know, that's that would be not putting a stumbling block in front of other people. And I, so that's just, that's a small thing to do and to do it joyfully. Um, the other example I thought of was just drinking a glass of wine with somebody who is maybe uncomfortable with that. You know, so you refrain from doing that out of love for this other person. And so there's liberty, I mean... You know, am I okay to drink it by myself, or if I'm having dinner with somebody who's not affected by that? Then yeah, that's that's great. But for the sake of the other person, you're always thinking of the other person. Yeah. Anyway, I was yeah, just well, wondering about some. Examples. I want to ask a question about that too because I think it does come up a lot: the issue of alcohol consumption. Okay. And I'm just curious if any of you have had a scenario where you've you've kind of sussed that out with somebody where it's like. Hey, you're inviting them into your house, right? And they're they're of legal age, and 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 maybe you've never you never spent time with them in that kind of a setting. Like, how do you figure out 
you know, what, where they're at with, mm-hmm. with their conscience with regards to alcohol consumption. You know, have you guys ever been in a scenario where you've, where you've offered it to somebody and, and they, you know, communicated their conviction or, or their conscience and how did you respond and, and, and how did the relationship unfold and develop from there? Because I do think this is on people's mind when we're talking about Christian freedom. I think it's probably mm-hmm. one of the most, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe dealt with issues or scenarios with regards to this issue. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, alcohol is a great, easy example for me. I have some family members that are alcoholics. I have other family members that are uh, complete opposite end of the spectrum because of the alcoholic family members, you know, so it's a widespread. And I think just a question that, that people are uncomfortable asking that they should be uncomfortable at, or they should be comfortable asking is just a casual, Hey, what's your relationship with alcohol? Like, mm. you know, like, Hey, what is it? What is it? What does it do for you? Do you mind if I partake? What does that process look like for you? And, uh, you know, mm. I've found that most people are really quick to say what they think about it, maybe for good or bad. <laughs> but anyways, it's just, it's, it's just asking the questions of, yeah. Hey, do, do you, do you partake in alcohol or the, the particular thing of, Hey, what's your history with alcohol? Or what's your relationship? That's yeah. a big deal. And, and you, because and you ask this of them while you're pouring them a glass of wine. Right? <laughs> exactly. I ask it once they've already had four beers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Then, exactly. <laughs> no. So like, give us some practical, like, is this a text message before they come over? Is this, um, you know, over, over coffee after you've known them for a few weeks or months or years or whatever? Like, I mean, so how do me, we have these always, conversations? To me, with this one at least, because it's kind of a, you know, I think you have to use your judgment with different situations. To me, with the alcohol thing, especially if it's the context where someone's over for dinner kind of thing, I think making it not a very dramatic kind of moment is good. And just casually just say it mouth to mouth, you know, face to face. Hey, what, what do you, how do you view alcohol? What's your, what are your, what's your thoughts about it? And if they're like, oh, I don't do that, sinner. I'm like, oh, that's fine. You know, I won't partake. That's fine. You know, I'll give up that right for you and not make a big deal about it at no, all. No. Down the road, I might ask them follow-up questions like, hey, how did you get there? You know, like what happened to you that made you have this view of alcohol or whatever? Because there usually is significant things that have happened that have made someone form that strong of a conviction, whatever, whatever the And it's important is. to know that about mm-hmm. people, you know, just to know their story, right? It's, I think it's another way of loving, of loving them is to just mm-hmm. hear what, yeah, what has shaped their conviction and, 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 yep. and to receive that humbly and then really not, not seek to change them necessarily. Um, but, but just have loving, insightful, you know, conversations, right? I think that and it's kind of simple. It's not easy, but it is, but it is like, Hey, let's just have a conversation about it, which well, I think more and more we're, we're, we're losing that skill to, to have just a, a, a nice loving conversation with somebody who maybe has a different viewpoint than we do. We, we need to get better at that. Don't you guys agree? Yeah. And just, just to add to this particular scenario, because Again, alcohol is a really great example for this process because sometimes, you know, I have different family members or sometimes or friends, you know, they might say to you, oh, no, I'm down. Drink, drink away. But then in knowing them or watching them, you can still come to your own conviction of, you know what, even though they feel free about it, I think that I should give up my freedom to drink because I think it's the most loving thing towards this person. You know, if someone is abusing alcohol or has an unhealthy view of it, 
the most loving thing to do, even though they feel like they're having a great time with us if we drink with them and it's, it's a way that they bond as a friend, that may be true, but it still might be the most loving thing in that situation for me to not partake, to not encourage them in that way, you know? And it's tricky. And it is, like you said, it's a, it's a heart-led thing. You have to understand the person and, and pray and listen to the spirit, but it's not as black and white of just, oh, they don't like alcohol, I won't drink. Oh, they love alcohol, I will drink. You know, you really have to just think a little bit more in depth about it. And then just, like you said, do what's most loving. Yeah. Yeah, I think another great example of this stuff, just for people to, to kick around, is our entertainment choices. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the music we listen to, the shows or the, or the movies that we see, um, concerts we go to, whatever, you know, I thought, I think there are some, some shows that Emily and I watch that we feel our conscience is clear about, but we, uh, we don't, <laughs> when we're together as a family with the kids, we, we don't watch them because, of where they are in their development and, you know, just we want to protect them and and keep them innocent and pure. Right. And so we, we don't, when, when they're awake and when we're all together as a family, we watch things that, that they want to watch as painful as it may be (laughs) for us. (laughs) (laughs) And as, as, as disinterested as we, as we may be in the shows they like, um, we, we yield that, that's, it's a silly little, right. We yield it to, mm-hmm. for their benefit. And, um, you know, I think another thing too, is like, I don't know, like we, we're, we're never going to be the kind of people, Emily and I, where we're just always talking about the shows we watch or the movies we're into, or, you know, we're never going to like be like these like fan people about these shows and stuff because, I think we have developed our own um, boundaries and, and our own convictions about the things we allow in our house. And that may be totally different for a different family or a different couple or a different individual, different set of roommates, whatever. And so we're not going to like broadcast on social media or go around talking to people all the time about the shows we're into because we just, we just don't, first of all, there's better stuff to talk about, Right. And then second of all, like, we just don't want to be in a situation where we're, we're putting a stumbling block in somebody's view or, or we're binding up somebody else's conscience. Right. So I think on one hand, we should talk about our, our convictions and help each other mature and develop and grow our, um, our Christian freedom. But uh, on the other hand, I think there's, there's some wisdom to keeping these things to ourselves. Do you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, just letting it be um, personal and internal, you know, when it comes to these areas of freedom. Well, and I think your example of your kids, um, you know, watching what they want to watch, even if it's not something you and Emily would choose on your own, um, is is that whole idea of love building up, right? You're going to the lowest denominator mm. of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Like what it what would be the most life-giving to those around you in the in the room, in the moment. Yeah. And and being willing to sacrifice your right or your liberty um for the sake of love. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'll throw a challenge out there for a lot of men in the world. What about sports? You know, love I them. think for a lot I love of them, that's what about them. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think for a lot of people, I mean, I'm not telling you, saying you, Dan, but a lot of people, they, 
they like they'll be oh yeah like I watch Game of Thrones with my wife but I'm not gonna talk about that with my kids but then it comes to sports and they can't give it up you know or like people will be out to dinner and they can't not watch the game and see what the score is whatever it is whereas that might be one of those things you know maybe the most loving thing is to just turn it off and be present with whoever's there or, or whatever maybe the reverse is true I don't know but I think some of those things we don't really think about as often as much as like drugs and alcohol and whatever it is masks you know yeah that's good it's good yeah yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how much of life is, can be characterized under this topic of of love and liberty and and just exercising our Christian freedom in a way that is is going to be most effective for the gospel and most loving to our fellow man. It's kind of I mean, we could sit here and just think of example and example, 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 because so much of life falls under this umbrella. What am I going to participate in? What am I going to reject? What am I going to redeem? And how am I going to navigate that in relationships as I live and, and move around in the world? It's it's more things than we think, probably. Yeah, you know, and Charlie's sort of the way he ended that sermon um, with verse 12, where Paul says, you know, we have all these rights and, and ability to do these things, but... He says, we're not going to make use of that, right? But we endure anything rather than putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And Charlie asked, what's the most effective right now for the, for the gospel? What's the most effective thing for me to do in proclaiming and demonstrating and adorning the gospel? And if we can sort of have that as a filter to how we behave in all of life... <laughs> That would be ideal, right? I yeah. mean, we'd always have to be. We we have a filter. We have and we have questions to ask ourselves: Is this going to uh, advance the gospel, or is this somehow going to um, squelch it yeah. or dissuade someone from really loving the Lord well? And um, that's a huge challenge. That's so good, and and I love it because it's not it's not more rules to follow. It's just. Um, it's a it's a consideration that that mm-hmm. we we ask God for wisdom and we ask the Holy Spirit for guidance and and we 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 just keep kind of figuring it out as we go and it's that you know again this whole thing's love and liberty I, that's a very freeing position to be in mm-hmm. because we don't have to worry so much about it's not about us it's not about me and and what I get and what's best for me it's we get to let, let go of that. And I think if we all think about the most loving relationships we have on a human level, whether it's a spouse or uh, a sibling, a roommate, a best friend, whatever, whatever the relationship is where it's like, man, this person really, we just have a loving connection, right? If you kind of drill down and figured out what makes that relationship that way, I think it would be the heart that you just described, Connie, that heart of saying, I'm going to live for for whatever is the best benefit for this person. I'm going to and I and I think that yeah as we as we make relationships with people inside the church outside of the church that is really what is going to um make the gospel look as great as it is is when we have that driving force behind our relationships. Mm-hmm. Man, Libby, as as a place to kind of wrap up as we chew on that um Man, I just want to challenge you guys, read 1 John 4, like verse 7 to the end of that chapter, 
And, you know, it's talking all about love and loving your brother. And just two verses I'll point out. One of them, which you just hit on, is verse 12 in chapter 4. It says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Guys, this is it. Our love, God's love through us, is how people are going to see God here in this world. And then later, you know, just that short verse 19, we love because he first loved us. I mean, you got to start there. You, that has to be central to your life and your heart. And man, just chew on that for a bit. Remind yourself, read through the, the gospel and remind yourselves of what Jesus went through for us, of how God demonstrated his faithfulness and his love through that, all his promises to us. Because from that place is where we're really freed up then, man, to just love others because of that, to be fueled by that because he first loved us. So First John 4, 7 through 21, read it this mm. week. Mm-hmm. All you need is love. <laughs> all you need is love, love. Love is all you need. And liberty. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, two-word named VBC things. This is very confusing. Connie. Very confusing, but very important. Connie, do you want to give a plug for a different two word thing? I want to give a plug for um, Truth and Light. It's that new ministry that is um, being spearheaded by the Panfilios and the Gurglies. And it's uh, they're having a little informational meeting on Sunday, this coming Sunday at 7 p.m. in the auditorium at the Crossing Campus. So if you have any questions about it or just you want to find out a little bit more about the ministry, um, please come. 7 p.m. Be there. I'm going to be there. Sean, you going to be there? I'll be in L.A., but emotionally, I'm there. <laughs> So rude. so rude. I'm going to be there and I'm going to have little coffee stations. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have little Keurig pods for anybody who wants the coffee and just, just get tea. some caffeine and just stay up all That's night. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Decaf pods. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right, guys. Uh, see you this Saturday, hopefully, at the fall festival. See you on Sunday for church and then Sunday night for the truth and light. Info meeting and gathering sounds like a great weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a party! And Full. then, and then, what do you have to look forward to? Behold again next week, y'all. Keep it real. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes of Behold. If you would like more information about Valley Bible Church, or if you'd like resources from this episode, go ahead and check out vbc.online/behold. Catch you guys next week.